Welcome to Radical Embodiment, the podcast where we challenge societal norms and redefine what it means to be fully present in our bodies. I'm your host, Emily Wishall. I am an embodiment coach, certified rolfer, and author of the book, Radical Embodiment, a practical guide to celebrating the skin you're in. Living a radically embodied life means making a consistent, courageous, and intentional choice each and every day to truly be in our bodies. It's about reclaiming our power, breaking free from harmful narratives, and cultivating a deep connection with ourselves. I am absolutely thrilled to introduce you to season five's lineup of guests. In the upcoming 12 episodes, you'll have the opportunity to listen to insightful interviews with friends, teachers, colleagues, and experts in the fields of movement, fascia, and the body. Each episode offers a diverse range of perspectives and a wealth of knowledge for you to immerse yourself in. I hope you find these interviews as enlightening and inspiring to listen to as I did when I was recording them. Hey everyone, here we are at episode 11 of season five of Radical Embodiment, the podcast. Today, I am so excited. I'm always excited, but um, one of my dearest friends is on the podcast, Dr. Diane Mueller, also known as the libido doc. Um, Dr. Diane is a seasoned sexual wellness authority. She blends a strong educational foundation with a rich clinical and teaching experience. Um, In the interview, um, Diane, she just shares so much wisdom, insight that's really tangible, that's relatable, but also has, you know, the science to back it up. Um, so we talk a lot about the importance of touch and a lot of different contexts and how that really supports our overall health and well-being and just journey and embodiment, um, both receiving touch and just self-touch. Um, Diane has her own podcast called the Libido Lounge. Um, her own online training institute, and she trains medical professionals worldwide in functional medicine. Um, so I hope you enjoy this interview and um, gain some insight that really just helps inspire you to continue to take action that feels empowered, that it feels like it resonates with your heart and your truth, and that continues you further in your journey to loving your body and um, to just being able to experience more presence and pleasure in your life. All right, here's the interview. Hi, everyone. Here I am with one of my dearest friends, Dr. Diane Mueller, the libido doc. Diane, thank you for being here. Oh, thank you, Emily. I love every moment of our conversations always. (laughs) I'm so glad we get this time today. Uh, me too. Me too. It's like, um, just as we hit record, I, cause Diane are, and I are really good friends. And so we've just been casually chatting and then just hitting record. It just like landed in my system. of like, Oh, this is so wonderful. I get to interview you for my podcast. Like what a sweet, sweet treat to get to connect in this way and get to share you with my audience. So thank you for being here. Um, so we're going to start with a question. I always like to start with these, um, conversations with, of. Uh, what embodiment means to you? Yeah, thank you. The The way I would describe embodiment to me is largely connected to 
I would say the definition of the ability to experience presence and Mm -hmm. pleasure in my life, because from a standpoint of embodiment, I look at it as like embodiment, the capacity to feel the capacity to feel what's happening inside of my body via really via the senses, right? Via touch on my skin, wind in my hair, via taste in my mouth, smells, these sorts of things. So largely I would say it's the the ability to be so present within my body that I have the fullest experience of what it's like to be a human. Mm -hmm. I love that. And what you just said, I mean, that so lands for me because really recently, the last couple weeks, what I've been walking around with in the forefront of my mind is like, is really the, like what we're supposed to be doing here as humans in this reality, in this world, is it just to feel like, is that the great, like, I like, that's what I'm currently like. I think that's the the point we're just supposed to feel. And so I love that you brought like our humanness in it and that, and that, uh, that ability to feel both also like the presence and pleasure in your life. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think there's, you know, there's so much there, right? I love this exploration of yours of the ability to feel because I think Mm -hmm. so many times as humans, it's like, it's so easy to either run away from feelings or chase feelings. And that's very, very different Mm -hmm. than feeling just with what is, you know, and just having that experience of like, really feeling the sadness or really feeling the grief or really feeling the joy and all these different things. And so it's, it's an interesting conversation. And I love that this is a huge part of your exploration right now, because I do think like, like a layer of that conversation for me is like, truly like, what is it like to feel then exactly what is happening right now without like wishing a feeling away or chasing a different feeling but just being okay with the exploration of whatever is arising in the moment. Right. Which is not always easy. easy uh, That's where I was going to go, right? I'm like, yes, it sounds (laughs) incredible and so profound. And, you know, I I think especially like, one, I think to, to really feel and be with what is present, not wishing it away, not needing to change it, just acknowledging it means to be in our body, which a lot of us, it's been an unsafe place to be. It's been a place that maybe we don't trust, a place where maybe we don't want to be because of pain, because of disease, because of grievous trauma or torment. So what I would love to like have you share with us some of your own journey of what has helped support you in increasing your capacity to really be with what is and really be with yourself and um, yeah, kind of take us through your own journey and story, if you don't mind, of coming more and more into relationship with yourself and relationship with your body. Yeah, sure. So, you know, there's so many things I would say, especially from my earlier childhood that really took me out of my body. I had a lot of disease processes. I had crazy digestive problems. I had Lyme disease. I had points where I had crazy memory loss, pain so bad. It felt like my legs were being sawed off. So Mm. I had a lot of like very disembodied experiences in my early twenties. I had a sexual trauma. So that 
further basically disconnected from my body and especially then from my, you know, female parts, right? It really created like a lot of numbness inside of me. So there's been a lot of work, right? There's been a lot of work, a lot of highs and lows with getting back into my body. And it's truly, I would say, the most holistic process that I've gone through. It's anything from doing things to take care, better care of my physical body, doing lab work and figuring out what's going wrong to make myself not comfortable physically in my body and and really healing that part. It was doing a lot of trauma work for the sexual trauma, which included psychotherapy work. I, I actually was working with a great art therapist for a while who I was painting my feelings. And that was for me like a really good way of getting back into my body and processing that trauma. So that was all really amazing. And then another component really truly has been doing embodiment practices, you know, things that you teach in some of your classes, for example, and, and things that are even, even things like rolfing, right. Even things that are related to what you do, these types of touch therapies, manual therapies that allow us to actually feel the, dis, the misalignment, to feel the stuck places, to breathe into those places, to soften those places. And then of course, also dance, right. This is something that you and I share in common of like, doing the sensual embodied dance, the pole dancing, and various types of, you know, wiggle on the floor types of movement, right? To just really feel, feel the pain, feel the pleasure, feel the stuckness, feel the the areas that just need more love and touch. So I'd say it's been truly a physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual practice. And that all of my cells have needed, you know, this kind of cornerstone of all of these methodologies to, to really bring myself back inside my body. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's a lot, you named a lot of, a lot of different approaches and I'm sure it was many years. I imagine it wasn't just like, wow, I snapped my fingers. I went to this weekend retreat and like, I'm in my body. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I think embodiment is, a, is an ever going journey. You know, there's not like an end goal, um, but I, I just want to even just briefly just mention the wiggle on the floor. Like I, I keep coming back to more and more like the importance of like just being on the floor and being on the ground yeah. and touch and contact those two things that you mentioned, um, because I think both are so important in relationship to helping our nervous system regulate like if you're not able in a position to afford, receive, whatever in between sessions, actual physical contact um, or have both, but like literally just getting on the floor every day for five minutes, starting your day that way, ending your day that day, just like maybe it might feel weird at first, but just rolling around, wiggling, feeling the contact. Maybe you put a song on to help support your body and moving and finding, but it can, it can just be a beautiful way to just kind of self-massage to kind of feel these parts of our body with that external feedback of the ground. And I think receiving touch, especially in a professional, like skilled setting is essential in helping to unwind the fascia, unwind the tissue to support our bodies, to being able to be more resourced and increasing that capacity to be with what is. Yeah. You know, I think it's kind of linked back to the definition, right? Like of, being embodied is being in the senses 
And mm. all of these types of things we're talking about, you know, professional touch, professional rolfing, in many ways, that's what they're doing. It's like somebody's hands on part of our body say like, say our low back has had trauma and injury. And we have one of two things that happen so often, right? We either have like crazy pain in that scenario or numbness and, and sometimes a period of both. So just having somebody's hands on us to reconnect that brain nervous system connection, I think is so valuable for really allowing the brain to connect to this area that maybe we're not fully embodied and we're not feeling we're, we're disconnected. And so that touch I think is so useful for really reestablishing that neurological connection. 1000%. Yeah. And what comes to me is safety that touch yes. helps. I think that them find safety to be able to go to these unknown, unmapped, historically not safe, not feel good places. So I'm curious for you, if somebody is feeling unsafe in their body, or maybe there's a part of their body that feels unsafe to, to go into, um, or maybe it might just be maybe the, the, the unsafe isn't there. Maybe it's just like, oh, it's just numb. They feel nothing, which often correlates with your system, not feeling safe and going there. What, 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 come, like, what might you suggest to somebody of how to, you know, begin to navigate with that? There's so much to say here. And, you know, to start this conversation, mm -hmm. I think it's a good time to just remind your audience around, like, remember if there's like truly something that you're unsafe with around past traumas, like, if you need to process through it, of course, do that with a psychotherapist, right? Somebody that's trained yeah. in how to guide sure. that, right? But beyond that, it's a it's an area that I'm actually studying so much in my work at my, my libido doc practice because mm -hmm. the amygdala, right? The fear center of the brain is so easily activated in women. And it is as our self-protection mechanism, right? Like, we do have a heightened amygdala in a lot of stress types of responses, a heightened fear center response, because that's our safety, you know, being oftentimes usually the, the physical weaker gender as females compared to males. It's so frequent that we can be in situations that could be dangerous if there was a, a somebody say as a prey to us, right. As a, or as a predator to us. So essentially we are evolutionary prime for this amygdala, the safety versus fear center of our brain to be more responsive and to remember those traumas, to remember those triggers. And this can be as simple as like basic emotional traumas that happen because a partner, a friend, a boss says that thing to us and it feels unsafe. And, and maybe it's not a huge trauma or trigger, but it still triggers that fear center. And yeah. this is where it gets really cool and linking like the, you know, some of the things we see in research to what you're, you know, talking about here, what we're talking about around touch and trauma and touch and fear, because what we really see is one of the best things that actually resets the amygdala is oxytocin. And oxytocin mm. is that love cuddle, you know, touch hormone has actually mm. been doing so much studying on this. There's a study that shows, for example, that when we have a hug that is 20 seconds or longer, it has to be 20 seconds or longer, we release so much oxytocin that we actually start trusting the person we're hugging. So one of the podcasters- I was Is that specific to females? Sorry to interrupt. Is that specific to females or anyone? 
one, Just but curious, females I, have way more oxytocin receptors than men. Mm -hmm. So likely females mm -hmm. have a larger impact of it. Men have oxytocin receptors too, but we have so many more. It's how we regulate stress, right? Is through oxytocin as one of the best natural stress regulators. So, you know, in, in this study and some of the research and podcasters that I've listened to that talk about this study, one of the things that sometimes said is like, okay, you're getting like a heebie-jeebie feeling from somebody and you already have like a sense of like, I don't think I should trust this person. Actually, intentionally do not give them a long hug. This would be a good time for okay. the that like bro hug kind of thing. Cause that long okay, good to know. I was afraid right? you were going to say like, <laughs> just go for it. 20 seconds. Yeah, I was like, Ooh, I don't know. Okay, great. That's for intuition <laughs> because the, the oxytocin yeah. that you're getting in that hug, it creates so much trust and it calms those fear centers. It calms the amygdala. And so we want to make sure that we're getting that oxytocin to keep us out of fear, to help us with safety and all that. But we're also getting that at the right times when of course we feel like we want to be safe. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So I want to kind of like put together some points just to backtrack and reiterate because what you said is like juice. It's so good. So you're talking about our amygdala, right? And that's sensing that we're not safe. And so to help retrain or recalibrate, we can if we can increase oxytocin, which we can do through touch. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. So, so 20 second hugs with 20 second hugs. Or yeah. Love, so or I've been actually doing something just this week. And I wish I would have um, read this research before we actually were hanging out on Saturday. I know. I'm like, I wish I know that we hugged and touched a lot, but I'm like, I wish I'd intentionally given you a 20 second, at least hug. <laughs> 20 seconds time. is like, as I've like hugged people this week, since I've read that, I've like been counting in my mind and like 20 <laughs> seconds is like, like oftentimes I'm realizing like, Oh, my hugs are like 10 to 12 seconds, which is still a solid hug. Sure. That's a solid hug. Yeah. But it does yeah. take longer to reach that 20 second. And that 20 second is definitely that magic oxytocin thing. So, you know, even that, you know, type of massage, right. Where it's like, the hands are never leaving the body for sometimes minutes at a time. Right. So I don't know that, you know, different types of massage, I haven't seen anything about different types of massage being specifically studied this way, but since hugs have, I would presumably then be able to extrapolate that it would be likely that touch in any way that is continuing for longer than 20 seconds will produce a lot of that. And I think that is where with massage and all these type, different types of body work, you know, rolfing and, and other things that this is where some of the magic happens to the nervous system, because we're actually calming down the amygdala, which that alone in the conversation we're having around embodiment, that alone, mm -hmm. like the moment we calm down the, the fear centers, the moment mm -hmm. we're not in this hyper kind of adrenaline state where the mind is looking for all the things that it's scared of or that it's trying to avoid or it's trying to protect itself against. And that's when we, when we drop that, we drop that, uh, that adrenaline, we drop out of that fear state. That's another thing that can just lead us back into the experience of embodiment. And really, you know, like I said at the beginning, I think it's the experience of going through life with pleasure, with the enjoyment of all the little things. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that increases our ability to do that. Love that. Amazing. So I kind of would love to just hear a little of your journey from, you know, working, you know, you shared that you had Lyme, working with Lyme, your, um, you have a vast medical 
you know, naturopathic like background into moving into the libido doc. Yeah. And love like to have you just kind of talk us through a little of, of that journey and kind of how you, how you got to the work you're doing now. Sure. Yeah. So I've been in practice for almost 15 years now. And the bulk of my beginning of my practice was in Lyme disease, mold illness, and a lot of chronic conditions, which create a lot of inflammation. It create these types of things create conditions like chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, arthritis, brain fog. So if any of those conditions, if you have any of those conditions of anybody that's listening and you're like, I can't figure out what's going on. That's where like that area of expertise really has come in to find these hidden root causes of like why fatigue continues, why random pain or headaches or brain fog continues. So it's been that part of my practice has been beautiful. And it's really been great to serve that community because it's getting people out of these debilitating conditions. Right. And one of the things that started coming up in this practice was libido would just randomly spontaneously come back, right? It wasn't the initial thing people sought me out for because when people come in and they're barely functioning because of their fatigue and brain fog and other things, yes, they don't have a libido, but it's not like sex is not the first thing on the mind, right? (laughs) Let me, let me survive my day first. Right. And, but then later on, it's like people are starting to get to that point of being fully healed. A very, very common topic that would come up was, oh my gosh, my libido's back. Oh my gosh, I'm having sex again. Oh my gosh, my partner's so happy. Thank you. You know, kind of stuff. So that was, you know, from, from purely like clinical thing, like I started seeing these changes and these, you know, by treating the root causes and seeing the libido change that way. So that's part of what drove that from a clinical perspective, you know, from my own personal perspective, it also was driven by just my own curiosity as a researcher, a scientist, a doctor, and, you know, as a, as a spiritual person, cause I, I was, I've been really interested in sex for most of my life. Like it's just been a huge part of my health and well-being. And I've been curious, right? There's been times where my libido would get really low. And there's been times where I would get bored in relationship, you know, sexually with a partner. So I really throughout that, throughout my marriage and divorce and seeing the things that I did wrong in that, the things that did not work in that, it really, all these different things is, you know, really kind of came together to help me study with a lot of different relationship coaches, sex coaches, reading things on my own, studying things like Taoist sexology, since I have a background in Chinese medicine as well. So it's really the libido side has really come from seeing this clinically happening, doing research and seeing like the underlying reasons of what drives a low libido, plus my own personal curiosity and like how to keep relationships and monogamous relationships and long-term how to keep them novel, how to keep them exciting, how to keep that passion going. Because I think this is just such an area that we, we're not trained in, right? Society is like, oh yeah, there's this hot time at the beginning of the relationships. And it's like normal when that dies out and just go deal with it. And like, who cares if you never have sex and like, it's not important for women anyway. It's like, that's so much of the programming. And what's that? (laughs) I said it's so much BS specifically when you're like, oh, it's not that important to women anyway. I'm like, it's just not it's just an old myth, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's also so interesting, right? Like, 
like sex has really been studied so much in men, right? And so like, even in like the arousal of men, there's like this four phase model that we see that's been taught in schools forever. It's like this excitement, this plateau, this orgasm, and this kind of relaxing period after. And so that model was studied in in men. And then it was just like assumed that women have the same model. So it's like so many women are like, well, I'm not feeling sexual. I'm overwhelmed. I'm overworked. I don't have a sex drive. And then Rosemary Bassan is an amazing researcher who actually put out a very different model of female arousal that is like, I think, just so revolutionary to women. And it's more of a circular model. And so Mm -hmm. it's basically things, for example, like physical connection and emotional connection bring arousal and then arousal brings more physical and emotional connection. And there's more parts to it. But the point is, oftentimes arousal does not come first for women. So oftentimes, like when women, because of how our arousal system works, it's it's the physical touch. It's actually starting that intimate moment. It's starting the foreplay and then once we're in it for maybe 10 minutes, that's when the arousal hits. And that's usually when I tell women this and they try it. And that's where it's like, oftentimes it's like, oh my gosh, why don't I do this more often? Well, we don't do it more often sometimes as women because, and we don't prioritize it sometimes because we're waiting for that drive. And that drive Mm, actually doesn't initiate it. Oftentimes it happens after we start connecting and we're getting that oxytocin and we feel safe and we feel connected with our partner when we're already in it. And then we get the arousal, right? Yeah, I love that. I'm so glad how you like mapped that out for us. So helpful. Yeah. So good. Yeah. So I think there's so much there that, you know, it's it's just an unfortunate thing how little the female sexual and the female pleasure response is studied and how much like women think there's something wrong with them because yes. we're not responding like men. Yeah or there's pain or there's, you know, there's so many reasons, right? Like I am on such, I'm like, why is it not the norm specifically for women who've given birth C-section or vaginally? Why are they not given a certain amount of PT pelvic floor paid for sessions? Why is that not the norm? I don't like, I just don't, it's hard for my brain to comprehend how that's not the norm with all that we know. And that's not, you know, and it's just like, quote unquote, normal for a woman who's given birth to, you know, a baby, multiple babies, 15, 20 plus years down the road who, oh, she runs, she sneezes, she jumps, she pees a little. I'm like, that doesn't actually have to be normal. That's dysfunction. And that's dysfunction in our medical system and this course. Yeah. Hey, it's Emily. And I'm interrupting this episode to let you know about something special I created just for you. If you're eager to explore a deeper connection with your body and embark on an enriching embodiment journey, I invite you to explore my free Radical Embodiment Toolkit. Inside the toolkit, I share a collection of my favorite practices that have helped me to stay present, grounded, and confident while also nurturing the health of my fascia. This resource includes guided body-centered meditations, step-by-step instructions on tending to your body's needs while infusing intention into your emotional and energetic processes, as well as a selection of must-read books for anyone on the embodiment path. I understand that adopting new habits and practices can feel overwhelming, especially when life is busy. 
So that's why I've designed the toolkit to guide you in gradually incorporating these practices into your life week by week, ensuring that you won't be inundated with information all at once. So to get started, simply visit radicalembodiment.com forward slash embodiment toolkit and sign up to receive your free toolkit directly in your inbox today. So again, that's radicalembodiment.com forward slash embodiment toolkit. I will have that linked in the show notes. All you need to do is go there, sign up with your name, and the toolkit will get emailed directly to your inbox. So I hope you take advantage. I hope you enjoy. I put a lot of time into this toolkit, and I think it's something that's going to continue to evolve and expand. So go get it. Get the free Radical Embodiment Toolkit today. And now back to the episode. Yeah, absolutely. And all those things are so, you know, so interconnected, right? Like prolapse where our organs basically start falling out of place, the incontinence like you're talking about. And, you know, and so much can be done by repairing that tissue. But even like, even if we're told something at women so many times, it's like, do a Kegel. Well, most people are not even doing Kegels correctly. And I have overdoing it sometimes. Yeah. Not doing it correctly or there's excess. It's just like, sorry to interrupt you, but I I feel like I see this all the time. Like, just like say another muscle group when, when your body's like muscles are not firing optimally, similar to Kegel, certain part of your pelvic floor could be overcompensated and really, really, really tight too. And so doing that Kegel repetitively, repetitively isn't supporting the issue. Correct. Like you might be doing like squeezing wrong where you're tonifying some muscles and other muscles aren't getting squeezed correctly. Or it's really interesting. I've done interviews myself with like people that are Kegel experts and other people that are jade egg experts. And Mm -hmm. there's this huge, um, almost like competitive thing between the Kegel people and the jade egg people. And it's very interesting. They both have their reasons why they think the other one is not the proper way to heal the pelvic floor to tone the pelvic floor but people that are really into how to properly do a kegel and teaching women to squeeze all the muscles correctly teaching women to relax all the muscles their biggest thing against the jade egg and that whole methodology is that it's about tightening so much and yes. that, you know, just like, you know, you're kind of hinting at here, like, it's not just about like, like the tightening, like we have to make sure that things know how to squeeze properly and contract, but also relax. Yes. Yeah, totally. The relaxing is so important. <laughs> so I'm curious, there's so much I want. I'm ex- I'm just excited um, to still be here and um, just taking in a lot. Um, if somebody is feeling is listening to this and there's someone who just feels like they don't like their body, they feel really uncomfortable in their body. And so then the idea of being sexually intimate with somebody feels like, Oh, you know, kind of thing like that feels scary. Uh, I would love, yeah. What would you say to them to help support them? And, you know, and they, but they want, they, the, the idea of being, you know, having more sex or having more pleasure feels great. But like, there's this part of that's even maybe if they are intimate with their partner, it's hard for them to fully receive in the pleasure of the experience because of their own insecurities. There's so much to say here. I so appreciate yeah. this question. And it's, you know, it's interesting from that, like body confidence and body image perspective, because there's so many areas in health where dysfunction and imbalance like creates a vicious cycle. So there's actually research that has been shown that having sex or engaging intimacy 
actually will improve body image. So the vicious cycle we get into is like, we're not intimately engaged because we feel not comfortable in our body. And then we're not having sex and actually having sex has been shown to help to fix that problem. So that's one thing to realize is just like part of the way out is sometimes just going for it and allowing your body to feel embodied and to feel the pleasure, no matter how you're feeling about your body. You know, another thing I think is really important to realize is another thing we see is that body image as far as or or body beauty, I should say, how other people and how partners and people of, you know, all sexes and orientations feel oftentimes is that there's different body types for different people. You know, some people love, love, love petite, tiny women. Other people love just, just voluptuous and curvy women, right? So there's, there's really, I feel like deeply a body type for every person. So one, and, and oftentimes this body type, like, like if somebody really like just loves a woman, which is a big, 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 beautiful round body and tons of curves and super voluptuous, that person's might not find a a very petite, tiny woman as attractive. So there's something to be said, first of all, I think about finding a partner who loves your body the way it is. Right. And I think Mm. that's really, really important to be said because there is somebody for everybody. And I think if we're constantly trying to change our body image to fit what somebody else's idea of beauty is, that might not be the best way to go about it. And, you know, personal confidence is no matter what size we are, like, personal confidence is a huge thing, right? I've seen people when, when they get tinier than they want to be and they can't eat for some medical re- you know, reason and they lose a lot of weight and they feel horrible about their body. And of course mm-hmm. I've seen the opposite, you know, people gain weight and feel horrible. So it can go, so it can go every way. So I really think another thing that is super important is spending time just with loving your body and all of its parts. Like no matter what size I've personally been, and I've been 50 pounds heavier and 15 pounds lighter than I am right now. So I've been a lot of different sizes in my life. And no matter what size I am, I've learned that there's just like parts of my body where it's very easy. If I look in a mirror, I'm going to, I'm going to be like, "Mm, that part's not good enough. And that part's not good enough. And that's been true when I've been a size four, it's been true when I've been a size 18. Right. So that has happened across the board. And what I have to say to that is I think the more we spend time with those parts, and this is where personal touch, you know, whether it's mm-hmm. through self-pleasure or whether it's just putting our hands on our body and actually exactly putting, where my head went. Yeah, yeah go ahead. exactly. Putting your hands on your body. And it's like, let's say that you know, you look in a mirror and you're not pleased with your hips or you're not pre- pleased with your thighs or your calves, for example, putting our hands on the bot on that part of the body and actually breathing literally love, like imagining love going to that part, imagining acceptance going to that part. And we can do this, right? We can do this in a way where it's like, I think another thing to say is the the paradox of all this. A lot of people think that like, that if we do this, we're like, like accepting means that we're not trying to change too. And the paradox means that we can still want to improve our body. We can still work on exercising, good diet to, you know, to actually make changes while also time, also at the same time, paradoxically loving and appreciating and honoring our body for exactly how it looks. 
because it's so easy. Like we're never going to look like an airbrush model unless we start getting airbrushed and do all these things, right? So it's so easy to always chase that next thing. So wherever we're at, I think just spending time, hands on our body, breathing into that part of our body, telling that part of our body that we love it and that it's beautiful no matter where it's at can go a long, long way. Yeah, so good, so good. Yeah, I mean, and just to, to piece apart, to emphasize, even what you shared of like, you know, you've been on, you know, you've had a range of shape in your own, in your own body and, and how, you know, whether your body was on the smaller or larger side of that spectrum, it didn't really necessarily shift the thoughts or the feelings towards it. Right. And I think that's important to emphasize of like, but that how often, you know, especially I think for women, it's not just women alone, but how many of us are just in that zone of like, if it just lost a 10, if I, pounds, if I just lost whatever, then X, Y, Z would happen. And so it's actually not related to that. It's like when we can come into ourselves and learn to accept us as we are, accept our body, that's what gets to feel good. Cause if we're always chasing this external thing, that's actually very disembodied and disempowering um, because it's this disempowered expectation. That's not I don't know. It's just, um, it's, it's likely not even what your heart really, really wants. It's what you've been conditioned to think of how you should look and be. Yeah, exactly. It's like changing the physical is not going to change the mental. We can change them both, but yeah. in order to really be happy and confident with our body, typically we need to make sure we're working on the mind. And, you know, and I'm always as a naturopathic doctor, I'm always such a fan of like health and improving diet and improving lifestyle yeah. and, you know, making sure that we are doing our best to maintain proper weight, to avoid things like joint pain and diabetes. And, you know, I think there's health benefits from a maintenance of a, of a healthy weight for sure. And mm -hmm. beauty though, it's like, like, I feel like we need to almost disconnect health and beauty. Like there's certain things where mm. it's like run blood markers. And it's like, if you have metabolic syndrome, you have high cholesterol and blood sugar issues, like, yes, oftentimes taking weight loss, weight off can really help those things. So we have that health, but just because you're having that metabolic syndrome does not mean that just because you have a health issue, your body can still be completely beautiful, exactly the way it is. And that's mm -hmm. the, that's the, the confusion that I think we have in society. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's good. And, and it's so important that you mentioned the self-touch. You know, I think that, you know, it, it it's just so like, if, okay, if it's on my thighs that I'm challenged with or, or my belly or my breast or my arm, just giving it daily contact with, with like from your own hand is, is huge. It's so, it's so good that you like, that's right where my head went. And because then too, it's like, I'm not trying to mentally overpower, you know, like I just need to be confident or I'm not going into this place of self-judgment because I can't accept this part of my body. It's just like, okay, every day I'm going to acknowledge and just be with this part of my body. That's it. Right. And how honoring is that to just honor yourself with that contact and that touch, which can be so simple, right? And it's not another like, oh, long practice thing I have to do. It's just like, no, every day I just touch this part of my body and I'm just with it. And I just breathe. And how yeah. amazing that in and of yeah. itself is so deeply healing, so nourishing. It really is. It really is. And the other thing I think we should add to this question is, is 
the concept of these sensual dance and pole dancing types of classes that, you know, we both have engaged in, because I've gotten so many things out of these classes, but I would say one of the number one things is actually tied back to this concept and this topic at hand, which yeah. is in these classes for our listeners, uh, it depends upon how the cost class goes, but some of these classes are done where at some point there's one woman in the center dancing and every woman is just in a circle, like watching and supporting. And mm -hmm. so it's been very interesting to witness women in these scenarios, because of course we have just like in life in these classes, we have women with tons of different body shapes, tons of different part points and motherhood and parenthood and all sorts of different things. Right. And the biggest thing I feel like I have seen in women that are like exuding sensuality and sexuality has nothing to do with the shape of their bodies. It has to do with really this topic, how embodied they are, how confident they are in the way their body moves. And no matter what the trusting shape how their body wants to move. Yeah. Trust is huge. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so it's been such a good teacher for me, right? To be in this witnessing role and be like, observing oh what is what is what looks sexually what what is what is sexually appealing what is sensually appealing what looks confident and it really is all about how much the woman is owning her space and owning her sensuality and owning her body it's not about what she's wearing it's not about how hot she is it's not about what her body or face looks like it's how much she's showing up and fully moving from the core essence of who she is. That's mm -hmm. really what I feel like exudes sensuality and sexuality. And I would have never seen that like witnessed in a way that was so profound that makes me believe that to the very core if it wasn't for these classes we take. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly with that. Yeah, yeah. So kind of to like bring all of this together for somebody you know, if someone's wanting to live a more, you know, embodied life, which I think is that radical choice on, it's a daily consistent choice. Um, and it might be something, you know, you might share here something you've already shared before, but what, what suggestion or insight would you, would you offer? You know, I think we can look at this, you know, to take it back to the kind of four areas that I mentioned before, but to make it more actionable, right? So if we're not living an embodied life and we're saying it's a physical, mental, emotional, spiritual reason, and oftentimes there's these four pillars that are involved in embodiment. So we can answer that by going through and saying, okay, well, let's take an action step from each pillar, right? So I would say from a mental standpoint, from a mental standpoint, I think the idea of doing these mental types of practices that are also going to be a little bit physical, but going through from our minds and saying, okay, well, what part of me is not present? What part of me, because, because the idea of embodiment, like how I'm defining it, right, is that ability to be pr present and experience pleasure. So then from the mental component of that, we need to practice that. So maybe that's meditation. Maybe that's visualization. Maybe that's breath work, but something that is that practice of being present. Maybe that involves a weekly rolfing or massage, something, something that is basically about being present and training the mind to be present in the moment. So even if it's two minutes a day, everybody, like this doesn't have to be a huge thing, but I would definitely take that action step. I definitely think mm -hmm. from 
you know, the physical standpoint, this is why I do have a quiz for people. So my quiz is libidoquiz.com. And on that mm-hmm. quiz, you can go through and it'll actually tell you it's a pretty cool quiz. And at the end, it's going to say, oh, physically, your stress response, your adrenals are mostly out of balance or your neurological system or your cardiovascular system. And so that can lead you to some of the physical root causes that might actually be preventing you from being fully in your embodied self, fully in your pleasure self. So go take my libido quiz. That's a physical one. And then also from the standpoint of other things like emotional, right? From an emotional standpoint, I think some of it really comes down to doing things like a journal exercise where we're honest with ourselves, like, you know, and asking ourselves a few basic questions, like what is stopping me from feeling fully in my body? What am I, what am I afraid of? Are there conversations? Are there things that are off off topic for my partner? And from, you know, a sexuality standpoint, am I having sex that I enjoy? You know, so many people are not embodied intimately because we're just having the wrong type of sex for our body, right? So asking yourself good questions, journaling, and just being honest with yourself, there's no right or wrong answers, but, you know, from an emotional standpoint, I think that's a huge component. And, you know, and spiritually, I would say it really just depends upon your own beliefs, but I think we can do a lot with, you know, with embodiment through spirituality and whether that is through prayer, whether that is through, again, meditation, whether that is through holding intentions and affirmations and, you know, part of a spiritual practice that we're talking about that could be linked to a level of spirituality is putting our hands on our body and saying, we love it. Like that can be, you know, very, very spiritual. So, and the biggest thing I always like to tell people when I give action steps is like from a habit changing perspective, their action steps work the best when you resonate with them yourself. So like, you know, so it's like, if somebody, if you're listening to this and you're like, I'm just not into meditation. I tried that. I just hate it. Fine. Like my, you know, it's like the point is finding something that works for you. That's going to bring you into the present moment. And and maybe it's not meditation. Maybe it's breath work. Maybe it's dance. Maybe it's yoga. Maybe it's something else. Right. But the intention is walking your dog in the sun. Right. There's so many things, right? There's so many things. So the, the idea is to get to the underlying point of what we're trying to do, which is in this example, bring one back to the present moment, get one's head out of the multitasking, the things that we do and and do particularly easy as women, just because of our, how our brains work and bring one back oneself back to the moment. And so having a daily activity, no matter what it is, where we practice that and that you enjoy doing, so you continue to do it every day is what's most important. Great. So good. So good. Amazing. (laughs) Awesome. So um, share where people can find, obviously we have the quiz, uh, which we'll have linked in show notes, but where can people find out more about you, more about Libido Doc? I know you have a summit coming up very soon. Yeah. So I want to make sure. So when this is live, we're actually going to be a just launched the summit. So you guys, this is a sexual health summit. And it's really though, I wish we'd have actually framed this differently because I think it's beyond just sexual health. It's about embodiment. It's about relationships. It's about pelvic care. It's about 
how to support anti-aging. There's so many things at this summit. It is centered around sexual health, but you get all of these other things, how to prevent incontinence, right? How to have these long-term happy relationships, how to communicate with your partner, how to have great sex, but also how to make sure your cardiovascular system's healthy on and on and on and on. So really, really amazing. I know Emily's going to put the links for you guys in your show notes. It is totally free when we are live doing this. So I would definitely recommend to like get on it, like literally now, because we just basically started the summit. So you have a lot of time to listen to a lot of amazing speakers. And then of course, take my libido quiz to learn more about your own functional, say physical imbalances that could help with your embodiment, your intimacy and relationships. And then you can find me also on my my own podcast, which we should interview you on at the Libido Lounge. So definitely check mm-hmm. out the Libido Lounge podcast. And then my website is mylibidodoc. Awesome. Awesome. We'll have everything linked in the show notes. Check out Diane's work. Um, such incredible, such so much good resources that she has and offers. Um, so don't hesitate and definitely to go check out the summit too. A lot of good interviews and I'm, ex- I'm excited about it. I'm going to be checking it out and tuning in. So yeah. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. This has been wonderful. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for being here. I, yeah, I thought this was great. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and knowledge. And I'm just really grateful for you and grateful for the time. And, um, yeah, there was a lot of, a lot of good juice in here. So awesome. Thank you everyone for tuning in. I appreciate your time. And hopefully there's, you know, at least one takeaway that you got from Dr. Diane that you will, you know, resonates with you that you'll really like kind of hook into your system to kind of help support yourself in continuing and establishing um, a habit that creates more embodiment, that creates more pleasure, more aliveness, more presence in your life. That's, you know, that's what we're all here for, right? That's what we all are hoping for and intending for. So awesome. And check out her summit, check out her free quiz. All right. Take care everyone. And thanks again, Dr. Diane. Hi everybody. Thank you for joining me on this journey of radical embodiment. If you enjoyed this episode, I invite you to take a moment and leave a review for the radical embodiment podcast on Apple Podcasts. Your feedback and support are invaluable in spreading our message of self-acceptance and body positivity to a wider audience. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Thank you again for tuning in. Until next time, stay courageous, stay intentional, and stay radically embodied.